Welcome to this newest edition of Halftime with Chuck and Drew. Right off the assembly line, the show features that new car smell without all those pesky payments or the potential <laughs> for jail time just in case you may have stolen that car. And like a one-legged man in a butt-kicking contest, we keep rolling on. As always, I continue to fill the gap in your life by taking on the role of Chuck while my able-bodied and able-minded Kimosabi remains Drew. As always. Yeah, and it's like like you say, it's a winning formula. Why change it? Exactly. Remember, in the special edition, there's that show where we flipped it. It just didn't work. No, no. Yeah. It uh, it didn't make the director's cut. I do know. Right, yeah, it didn't make the – yeah. It, it might be hidden deep on the DVD uh, special features or something. Well, you remember last week, Drew, that we promised we would do our monthly segment featuring some notes that we've received from – a few of our valued listeners, which means we probably set some sort of record by hearing from all 100% of them. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. So this first one, I think that you should probably be the one to respond to. So I'll, I'll go ahead with it. This comes from Melvin S. of Painted Fence, Nebraska. Every week you guys do a piece on the show telling us how great Drew is. My question is, if Drew is so great, then how come he's stuck doing this program? <laughs> Well, Drew, really, it's tough to argue wow. with such it, logic. It is, so. Yeah, that, that that is that is some pretty good logic. I, I guess it's just why am I stuck doing this program? I just decided to pass on all the other ones. Okay, all right. That I, that I've had. Yeah, and I'm sure there've been many offers. Oh yeah, many offers. You know that um, reboot of Seinfeld where you actually play Seinfeld. And... <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> all um, right. Yeah. Our next note comes from Bernice L of Hollow Point, Oregon. Guys, I just want you to know how proud I am of both you. Well, that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, your show just proves that the criminally insane can be rehabilitated with the help of our justice system. I would say that that's generous that she thinks that we have been rehabilitated. Yeah, I, I, I think she may have <laughs> overestimated our ability. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. All right. And finally, we have this note from Alvin G. of Sagging Pants, Oklahoma. I was going to talent? invite you to my upcoming circus-themed birthday party, but we already have a couple of clowns coming, so forget <laughs> it. Well, Alvin, I guess it's the thought that counts, along yeah. with the good accountant. <laughs> so, you know. our, our fan mail is it's 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 incredible. Like, uh, <laughs> man, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. It's just. Yeah. I, I tell you what, you know, that positive feedback that just keeps you going and wanting to do <laughs> right, another yeah. show, or at least prove right. the last show wasn't really that bad after all. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, all if right. you thought last week's show was bad, by the end of this one, you, you'll think it was pretty good. All right, now we go to the segment where we talk about what are we watching, and as always, I would like you to go first. Okay. Well, I actually stumbled upon this, and it's like, should I say I'd been watching this or not? It was a series on, like, uh, Prime Video called American Playboy, and it's a docu-series that is just that. It, it follows Hugh Hefner through his professional career from the time he started the magazine all the way through and sort of all the, the controversy that Playboy got into. And, yes, while there was nudity in it and they had centerfolds, I was kind of – not surprised, but uh, to see how groundbreaking it really was on a lot of social justice issues. They, they took a lot of strong political stances. They were really open to a lot of uh, minority entertainers and comedians in their clubs. And I was just, I ended the show thinking, 
yeah, it was a risque magazine, but Playboy was actually pretty progressive. <laughs> so don't tell me you're the one person that actually read the articles. No, Playboy. I haven't read any of the articles. Like, uh, <laughs> and that's why you didn't realize that. Yeah, that's didn't. why I didn't realize how, how progressive it was. <laughs> well, as for me, I've been watching this Netflix series, and I'm continuing on with it. It's called Inside the World's Toughest Prisons. And the title is pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. And the episodes are extremely eye-opening, to say the least. The first one I watched was about former Maricopa County, Arizona Sheriff Joe Arpaio's desert tent city for inmates. They're out in the middle of the desert. They're sometimes in the heat of 130 degrees or whatever. Uh, they tough. sleep on metal barracks. These tents are, were, I guess, uh, Korean War vintage tents that he bought from an Army surplus store. And uh, I guess when you're out there in 100 degree heat or more during the summer, creating trouble inside that prison, you're just going to be too hot and too tired to do. <laughs> What's interesting, too, they asked him about all the things that were going on inside the prison. And uh, these guys, the prisoners were pretty squared away. I mean, they didn't act up. They did what they were supposed to do. Uh, the one thing that he does do is that he makes them wear pink underwear in case they escape that uh, if they decide that they want to go out and try to find them, which they will, obviously, one thing they'll find out is the socks and underwear that they're wearing is pink, and then they know it's one of their people. The meals that they eat every single day are the same. It's this kind of mixture. I don't know how to describe this. It's just almost like slop. That and, slop is probably a good description. And when they asked him about all these things and why he made the prison so tough that he was, or the jail that he had so tough, he said, I want them to never want to come back here. There are a few people that actually they interviewed some inmates that said that they had been back there repeatedly. After watching that show, I didn't even want to rewatch the show, much less <laughs> wind up in that particular jail. Yeah. After just listening to that description, it's not that I don't want to go back there. It's that I never want to go there in the first place. They did feature <laughs> another U.S. jail. Uh, it's in Dallas County, Texas. It's actually the largest jail in the country it can hold up to 7,100 prisoners on a daily basis. It looks almost like uh, a three or four building high-rise complex. It features a solitary confinement unit for particularly dangerous inmates. They also have a mental health unit and a general population unit, which still contains a lot of dangerous people in there too as well. It was kind of interesting because most of their guards are females in an all-male prison. Yeah, that is. And they don't really have much trouble there either. Yeah, that is interesting. That's what Johnson Arena plus about another 600 people. Yeah, yeah, it is. And <laughs> they have special response teams that go in there when there's trouble. These are not guys that the inmates want to mess with whatsoever. Uh, they showed an incident that was occurring in one room. And these guys, I mean, they burst in there and everybody went down flat on their faces with their hands out. They didn't want to mess with them at all. And they occasionally do searches for weapons and things like that and contraband. They run a tight ship at that particular jail. But I think the most interesting episode that I saw was about a jail that sits in the middle of La Paz, Bolivia, a very poor country down in South America. It was basically a city within a city. They have walls all the way around it. And it looks like different types of buildings on the inside, almost shaped like a Y. And after a person is convicted of a crime, they open the gate and just shove them in and let them fend for themselves. They can find jobs on the inside. 
They have to arrange for their own housing. They have to arrange for their own food. They have to also deal with a gang that basically oversees the operations on the interior of that particular jail, a gang that no one wants to mess with. And for instance, they were talking to one of the gang members who's one of the enforcers, and he was showing a little pool that was inside the jail. This, this is kind of interesting. This jail allows families from the outside to come in and live with the inmates because a lot of these families can't fend for themselves on the outside without the father, so to speak. This is in Bolivia? Right, in Bolivia. Well, this guy was talking about this pool, and he said, this is where the kids play during the day. Also at night, this is where we drown the sex offenders. Okay. Um, so they just stack the bodies up, and then the guards come over to the gate and cart them off. That's an interesting concept. Like, uh, you, you know, a Lord of the Flies for adults. It really is pretty much like that. Uh, they operate it kind of along the lines of the purge on the inside. It's just <laughs> they have one group of people that kind of runs things. And some of the apartments that these people live in, they probably aren't the size of the office I'm sitting in right now. And they'll have full-fledged families in there, but they're happy to have any kind of housing that they get. Well, yeah. It's a pretty interesting show, and I'll let you know as I watch wow. more of it what I think. So that kind of takes uh, up what we're watching, but we need to move on now to... Great mood setter there, Chuck. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> kind of a downer for everything. So from right. here on out, everything has to be uplifting in yeah. comparison to what we just heard. <laughs> but it's time now for the fastest growing segment in podcasting history, the segment that has everyone talking and also the villagers gathering up pitchforks and, <laughs> and torches... <laughs> And that's yeah. why I keep the door locked on my house. Prisoners uh, in Bolivia are loving this one. <laughs> this is the part of the show where we marvel in the marvelous manhood of our very own Drew Barnett. It's Who Knew About Drew? All right, Drew. We're going to go ahead and talk about some of your personal greatness as spurred on by that letter that asked why you were doing this show and what's so great about you if you are doing this show. And so we're going to tell these individuals out there who wonder those very same things. First of all, Drew is so great that he can shred cheese blocks on the side of his face, which puts him in high demand for anyone planning parties or large social gatherings. This talent also makes him extremely popular with the dogs and cats in his neighborhood, right? does uh you want to watch the setting you're doing this in because if you you know if you're doing it in the office or just out on the street i, I don't know amazed is a word that you could use but it, yeah you get a lot of interesting reactions also drew is so great that x-rays of his dental work have been used as designs for sewer covers in several large <laughs> metropolitan areas thanks to drew no child who drops a quarter down into a sewer will ever be able to reach it and find it or fall in thus drew is responsible of the saving of lives of hundreds of hundreds of kids out there today. Yeah, I do what I can. I know. We appreciate all of that. <laughs> now we move to the sports part of halftime, the first segment of the show where we examine the argument for certain great players who have not been allowed to be in baseball's Hall of Fame for various reasons. They've been denied entrance because they are currently indefinitely suspended from the game or the baseball writers of America have deemed that they're not worthy because of what they believe are certain ethical or political violations, I guess, if you want to call it that. And let's start with two guys who are talked about really the most, Drew, outside of the steroids era guys, Shoeless Joe Jackson and Pete Rose. Yeah. First of all, Shoeless Joe, 
this guy was a great baseball player. Because it's over 100 years ago, people really, I think, don't understand how great he was. Shoeless Joe is the guy, Ty Cobb, who has the all-time top batting average in the history of Major League Baseball at 367, called the greatest hitter he ever saw. Babe Ruth actually modeled his batting stance after Shoeless Joe's. Jackson, of course, was permanently suspended from baseball along with seven of his Chicago White Sox teammates for taking money from gamblers to throw the 1919 World Series against the Cincinnati Reds. But those charges were actually tossed out in a Cook County court. But new commissioner, Kennesaw Mountain Landis, who I guess for the second week in a row we get to talk about, <laughs> yeah. who was hired by the team owners to clean up the game in 1921, immediately banished all eight players for life. Jackson admitted to taking 5000 of the $20,000 that he was promised by the gamblers, but later claimed that he tried to give the money back and attempted to tell White Sox owner Charles Comiskey before and after the World Series about the plot by his teammates to throw the series. Jackson says he played things straight up. He always claimed that he did not throw the World Series and did not try at all to throw the World Series, and his efforts would seem to indicate that. He hit 375 in that World Series against the Reds. He had 12 hits, which was a record that stood until 1964. He also made no errors in the field. Jackson finished with a 356 lifetime batting average, third highest of all time. He was rebuffed in several attempts at reinstatement prior to his death in 1951. So, Drew, in your mind, the Shoeless Joe remain outside the hall, or should they reconsider his case and allow him in? Absolutely in. Uh, I'll give two arguments. The first one, to the technicality, he was given a lifetime ban. He died. Hasn't he served that ban? I, <laughs> I mean, if I'm trying to be a smart alecky lawyer, I would just say, well, it wasn't a ban, you know, forever and throughout the universe. It was a, it was a lifetime ban. He should be in there. I would also say that First of all, the, the Hall of Fame is separate from Major League Baseball, is it not? Like, it isn't – there's certainly a relationship there, but it's not one in the same. So being banned from the Major Leagues uh, should not in and of itself be a disqualifier, in my opinion, from the Hall of Fame. And I think that they could exercise a little bit of common sense – he wasn't able to read and write. He was on a team that that particular White Sox team didn't get along, didn't like each other. You know, there wasn't a lot of cohesion. I don't think any of the planning or mastermind that went into throwing the World Series had anything to do with him. When you look at it, if he was trying to do a very craptacular job of it, he hit 375 and hit 12 home runs. There was no indication of anything that he did that cost the White Sox a game. And at the time, the rule wasn't in place because it was, did you take money to throw a ball game or did you simply know that your teammates were conspiring to do that? That came down the pike later. So I would argue that, like, there's no evidence that he threw anything. Those are my two arguments. There's no evidence that he threw anything. And secondly, even if he did, he served his time. His well, life You is mentioned up. the 12 home runs. There's actually 12 hits. But yeah, here's the thing. He took some money. He took $5,000. Now, he says yeah. he tried to give it back, but he did have the $5,000. And that's probably the most damning part of the argument against him. If he had somehow given the money back, I think there wouldn't be a problem here. We wouldn't be having this discussion about Shoeless Joe because all the other things fall in his favor, yeah. in my mind. Next up, Pete Rose. As everyone knows, the game's all-time hits leader. He had 
4,256 during his 24-year major league career. He was suspended in 1989 while he was managing the Reds by then-Commissioner Bart Giamatti for gambling on baseball, which is a big no-no. There's a sign in every single clubhouse in every major league stadium that says that you risk permanent banishment from the game should you be caught betting on baseball. Rose has admitted he bet on baseball, but claims he never bet against his own team. It was well known in the 70s that Rose had a gambling problem, but it was believed he was restricting his gambling to things like horse racing and football, and maybe basketball or whatever. The investigation into allegations that Pete was betting on baseball actually began in 1984. Rose claims he never gambled on baseball while he was an active player, only after he became manager of the Reds. So, you know, I don't know if that's really a a good excuse, but I will say this about Pete Rose in his defense. Never have I seen a player who tried harder to win games, but he broke a well-known rule basically because he was arrogant. He thought that because he was Pete Rose, no one would call him on it. Well, I investigated him for five years. They had the goods on him and now he's on the outside looking in when he really should be a part of the hall of fame. I agree with that, Chuck. You know, he certainly was arrogant, and he's been all over the place. I never bet on baseball. Well, I never bet against my team. Well, I constantly bet on baseball. I never bet on baseball as a player. I don't know how much or how little baseball he bet on, but even if you're not a player, even if you're a manager, you still have a lot of influence over the game and arguably maybe even more. But I agree with you. You never saw anybody play harder, work harder than him. Mickey Mantle in the in the uh, Ken Burns documentary told a story about when Pete Rose was a rookie that the ball was – in a spring training game, a meaningless game, the ball must have been hit 50 feet over the fence, and Pete Rose actually jumped legitimately trying to catch it. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was almost just obsessive as far as how competitive he was. And I think that the reason he gambled, not that I'm a professional psychologist or anything, but he just needed the competition. He needed the contest of winning something or losing something. It was almost like he was addicted to competition. I think it was more that than him being underhanded. That's just my own personal theory. Do with that what you will. Should he be in the Hall of Fame? If you look at his records, if you look at everything he did for the game, yes. Uh, Should he be allowed... Back in the Major League Baseball, I would argue that probably not. I'm with you on that. That's always the way I've looked at it, is that no one was more competitive as a player than Pete Rose. No one wanted to win more than Pete Rose. I never believed that Pete Rose as a player ever threw a game. However, he violated the rules. And I think you mentioned something important earlier on during this segment about the fact that Major League Baseball does not operate the Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame operates separately through the Baseball Writers of America who do most of the balloting. They have the veterans committees out there who do some too, obviously. But at the same time, they've decided to honor Major League Baseball's banishment of certain players like Jackson and Rose. They don't have to, but they've chosen to. They could put Rose in or put Rose on the ballot anytime they wanted to. They could have the veterans committee look at Rose and consider him for induction. And I believe Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame as a player, and he should remain suspended from the game, not able to hold any kind of official positions with any teams. So he would remain banished, but he would be in the Hall of Fame where he belongs. 
a lot of his stuff is inside the Hall of Fame, from what I understand. I've not been there, but certain artifacts like bats and things like that that were involved in plays involving Pete Rose are in the Hall of Fame. He should have a plaque in the Hall of Fame, too. Now we're going to move to something that was a little bit more controversial. The players who the Baseball Writers of America have refused so far to elect to the Hall of Fame because it was alleged that they extensively used performance-enhancing drugs like steroids and human growth hormone during their careers, which many believe unethically inflated their personal statistics. Baseball's so-called steroids era reportedly began in the mid to late 90s, although Jose Canseco admits he and Mark McGuire were actually using steroids in the late 80s. Uh, And then that steroids era ran basically through the mid-2000s when baseball decided to clean up its act. In addition to Canseco and McGuire, other high-profile players accused of being large-scale PED users include, of course, Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa, Rafael Palmero, Alex Rodriguez, who did test positive in 2003, and Roger Clemens. McGuire admitted in 2010 that he used PEDs for over a decade, including back in 1998, when he set baseball's former single-season home run record by hitting 70 of them. Bonds broke that record in 2001 with 73 homers, and he's the game's all-time home run leader with 762. He never officially tested positive and has denied using PEDs, but he was found guilty of obstruction of justice, actually not guilty of obstruction of justice, for allegedly lying to Congress during a 2006 hearing about his own personal PED use. A witness did testify While he never saw Bonds use PEDs, he claimed Bonds openly discussed using steroids and claimed the shots that he received would leave him sore. Bonds was also connected to Victor Conte, the head of the Bay Area Laboratory Cooperative, also known as Balco, which was discovered by authorities in 2002 to be distributing PEDs to athletes at that time. Baseball's PED testing policy mandated that a player could not be tested without cause or reason. The others outside of Rodriguez have all denied using PEDs. Now, it's important to note baseball did not have a steroids policy until 2005, an official policy. In 1991, then-Commissioner Faye Vincent issued a memo he called a moral statement to all teams saying that steroids were against the rules but there was no official policy against their use. Again, that didn't happen until 2005 when steroids were officially banned by baseball. HGH was not officially banned until 2011. Punishments for PED use as enacted by the owners and players include mandatory suspensions, which now include 80 games for first-time users or positive tests. Here are the questions. Since baseball did not have any official policies regarding steroid and PED use until the mid-2000s, well after these players we talked about accomplished many of their terrific feats on the field, should these players thus be banned from the Hall of Fame? Banned? I would say not necessarily. What I do think that they need to do, and I realize that this is much easier said than done, is sort of you almost have to evaluate their careers in two different buckets. What did they do when they were using performance enhancing drugs versus what did they do in the era before? Um, Or if there was an era before Barry Bonds, before he was accused of starting to use performance enhancing drugs 
was still a hell of a player, perhaps a Hall of Fame caliber player. He was a Hall of Fame player before he started using okay. steroids and PEDs, or allegedly started using. A great outfielder, didn't have much of an arm, but he was a tremendous fielder, gold yeah. glove winner, hit for power, hit for average, stole bases. He was a four-tool player, and he was darn good a regular candidate for the MVP award. He was going to the Hall of Fame whether he ever used PEDs or not. Right. And I think that that is something to consider. Like, you know, trying to evaluate his career before he got into the PED or at least before he got into it as deeply as he did. Should it be an absolute disqualifier? I would say no, if you can evaluate them at a time before they started taking them. Mark McGuire is a little bit interesting who didn't love the Bash brothers like him and Jose Canseco at the time? I don't know, but I, I guess my answer would be about the same. Like you might have to sort of evaluate him. What was he like before he was doing performance enhancing drugs or, or outside of the 10 years that he admitted to it? Did he put up Hall of Fame numbers? Mm-hmm. What I would have, and this is just me as a voter, I would have pause putting someone into the Hall of Fame that I didn't think could have gotten there or didn't produce enough numbers without performance-enhancing drugs, the PEDs, than I would just looking at their career as if it wasn't a factor at all. That's just me. Uh, What about you, Chuck? For me, uh, ethical violation in using steroids and PEDs. And people talk about greenies, which were amphetamines used by players uh, for a long, long period of time. You know, baseball is a 162-game season. And there are a lot of day games, night games, long flights. They're at the ballpark every day for several hours. Players get tired. And they might pop a greenie or two to kind of make them more alert. So I find greenies different in the sense that they didn't change their abilities. Greenies, these amphetamines, only allowed players to better use the abilities they already had. When you get into the PEDs, HGH, and steroids, These guys became muscle-bound monsters who, instead of hitting, say, a 380-foot flyout, were hitting 450-foot home runs. So it definitely had an impact on their ability to play the game. I don't know if I could vote for these guys because of that. It's just my own personal ethics about playing things straight up. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I also look at it and say, you know, there was no rule against doing this officially until 2005. These guys weren't breaking any rules at the time, so how can you not consider them? And here's what I believe about this, that as some of these accused PED users of the late 90s and 2000s get a little older and some of their cohorts, some of their people in there that they played against and some of these younger writers get a little bit older and we start filtering out some of the older writers that are already there right now who have a moral issue with the PED use, I think that you'll find that People like Bonds and Clemens, Palmero, maybe even Sosa and some of the others will eventually get into the Hall of Fame because time has a way of providing forgiveness for people. So I think that they may get in later on. As a matter of fact, I think Bonds got 62% of the vote in the balloting here this last time. And when you start getting into these various veterans committees that look at different eras of baseball, they'll say perhaps – Well, so many other players were also doing these things at the same time they were. So the playing field was a lot more level than what we might know. So let's go ahead and elect them. 
So, That's a good point, Chuck. And something that uh, you had mentioned that 1998 season, the year McGuire hit 70, and I want to say Sammy Sosa hit 66. Not only was there not a real policy, there was this feeling among amongst everyone, and I think even people that kind of suspected what was going on, like, gee, isn't this great? And going back to 1997, the year before 98, we were just three or four years removed from the strike. A lot of people had really soured on baseball. I still, to this day, don't think it's as popular nationwide as it was before the strike in 1994. But that summer, it felt like it was back. The Cardinals and Cubs were huge. Ballparks were getting ram full. The Cubs were, in addition to being in a home run race, were in a pennant race. And that was exciting because who has more fans than the Cubs? It was a great season in summer for baseball that we hadn't had in a long time. And I don't think anybody even really wanted to think about steroids. Everybody was just like, boy, isn't this great? And look at all these home runs. Well, I do believe Major League Baseball officials kind of knew what was going on. I do too. And because they saw what you saw, baseball was finally back after the strike of 94. The lockout, I guess, if you want to call it that or whatever, that they had going into the 95 season too as well. That season started late. I think that they knew that they were cashing in. They were making money. The game was growing again. And they said, you know what, Uh, let's kind of pretend that we don't see this. Yeah, And if it catches up with us, we'll deal with it then. But if not, let's just go ahead and enjoy the ride while we can. And being a Cubs fan myself and watching Sammy Sosa hit over 60 home runs, three straight seasons, the only player in baseball history to ever do that, I enjoyed every minute of it. I I loved watching him bash balls up on the railroad tracks at the top of Minute Maid Park in Houston during the All-Star break. I mean, it was fun. Everybody enjoyed it. And all these people who are bashing these players now – when they were cheering them earlier, eh, I'm not buying it. I think they had kind of had an idea of what was going on too. So yeah. uh, what I, I would say again is that maybe I would not vote for these guys because I do have a personal ethical and moral dilemma where the, using PEDs is concerned. Uh, I think that eventually they'll get in because as we cycle through into new players on the veterans committees, and new writers on the BBWA membership, uh, I think they'll all get elected eventually to the Hall of Fame one way or another, and they'll be in. And uh, years from now, uh, it'll just be sort of an asterisk in the history of the game, and people won't pay that much attention to anymore. So here's one other case we should talk about real quick before we get into the second part of our program, Kurt Schilling. Kurt Schilling in January actually told the Hall of Fame to remove him from the ballot. He fell this year only 16 votes shy of induction. He had 71% of the writers' vote. You need 75%. Schilling during his career won 216 games. He had an ERA of 3.46. In the postseason, he was outstanding. 11-2, and that includes four World Series appearances, a postseason ERA of 2.23. We all remember the bloody sock in the World Series when he was pitching injured for the Red Sox. Uh, here's a guy, I think, that deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. But the thing about it is he's being held out of the Hall of Fame because of his personal political beliefs. Kurt Schilling is a well-known conservative, and he has his certain beliefs on things. Kurt Schilling never used PEDs. Kurt Schilling was never arrested, never involved in a clubhouse fracas with a teammate. He was a model citizen when he was a player, 
And now that he's espousing his own personal political beliefs, some of the writers who are voting are making him pay for those beliefs. And I don't think that should be happening. I don't either. And I don't necessarily share his beliefs, but it would bother me if if a writer wants to make a baseball argument against not voting for him or not putting him on the first ballot. Okay, I'll listen to that argument. But if your argument is, well, I don't agree with his politics, then you shouldn't be voting. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's how I look at it. Like, you shouldn't have a vote for the Baseball Hall of Fame. You should be writing politics for your newspaper, not right. sports. I mean, to me, a person's politics has as much to do with whether or not they belong in the Hall of Fame of baseball as the clothes they wear. I don't like that shirt. I'm not voting for you. Well, that's and there nonsense. are a lot of players who have political yeah. beliefs that I don't share. Right. But at the same time, I go there to watch baseball, not to worry about – who they voted for in the last election. And I do want to pass along that our good friend Tom Lewis is the one who brought forward this stuff about Kurt Schilling. And Kurt Schilling has sort of had it up to here with all the crap that's been written about him in the papers about his beliefs. And some of it has been, I've seen it, has been misconstrued in many different ways. And he said it's not worth taking all the abuse to get into the Hall of Fame. He said, I just don't want to deal with it anymore. Just take me off the ballot. I'll be fine without the Hall of Fame the rest of my life. And Tom Lewis, you want to talk about a guy that belongs in the Hall of Fame. All right. I think that we've uh, done enough with the Hall of Fame segment of our show. (laughs) It's on to part two of this week's halftime. What's this stuff? Some cereal. It's supposed to be good for you. I'm not going to try it. Let's get Mikey. Yeah. He won't need it. He hates everything. We're getting into some serious stuff here on Halftime with Chuck and Drew in part two of our show. We're going to be discussing the best and worst breakfast cereals. Drew, first of all, should this be limited to cold cereals or can hot cereals be included in this debate? I say go ahead and include them. Cereal is cereal. And like you said, this is a serious topic. We normally like to have fun with the second segment of the show, but today it's a little more serious. We're talking talking about about personal nutrition. We're talking about changing lives. All right. I'm going to go, first of all, with my best. And these two cereals sort of share first place for me because they're essentially the same. Cocoa Krispies and Cocoa Pebbles. They really are the same basic cereal. You know that. Yes. Nothing like some crunchy chocolate flakes to start your day with, with the added bonus of a bowl full of chocolate milk after you eat the cereal. There's nothing better than that. I'm sorry. Yeah, you might be right on that. Like the Cocoa Pebbles, I I used to like the Fruity Pebbles, but the Cocoa Pebbles are amazing. Uh, probably not the healthiest thing in the world, but... Uh, I want to get back to my theory that if it tastes good, then it must be good for you. At some point, you got to live a little. (laughs) Yeah. You know, at least if you're going to die, die with a smile on your face. Yeah. (laughs) I like the pebbles better because the puffs, they were a little too light. Like, they weren't as dense. The pebbles, you felt like, man, I'm really eating some chocolate here. Yeah. Cocoa puffs, I do like. But I have to admit, there's something about the Cocoa Krispies or Cocoa Pebbles that are just a little bit better. Now, number two on my list, again, it's two cereals that are basically the same cereal. It's sugar smacks, or these honey puffs basically is what they are, honey wheat puffs. They're made by different companies and called all sorts of different names, but it's the same thing. Light and sweet, we all know that they go down easy, meaning that you can eat them in large quantities. And when I talk about large quantities, 
Think Jethro Bodine from the Beverly Hillbillies and his large mixing bowl full of cereal. That bowl had to be filled with sugar smacks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or some other type of sugar. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> I can eat those things by the box load. I buy them the cheaper brand in those big bags because I know I'm going to go through them quickly because you can easily eat two, three bowls of those without thinking too hard about it. And the good thing about that is that, like, I'm not much of a cook. I can cook for myself and make it taste okay, but I can cook cereal. I mean, I, I got it down. And here, here's where we get into some other gray areas, and you can agree or disagree with me about this one. I like cap and Crunch with Crunch Berries. First of all, you get the great crunchiness. You probably couldn't hear a nuclear blast that went off behind your house while you're eating them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're sweet. And then the crunch berries really add just the right fake fruity flavor to fool yourself into somehow believing there might actually be some sort of nutrition in this bowl of cereal that you're eating. Well, it has fruit in it. You, you know, it has berries. That, doesn't that make it healthy? Yeah. And then there's yeah. peanut butter cap and crunch. <laughs> right. <laughs> peanut butter. Do we really need to say more than that? Come yeah. on. There is one healthy alternative that I do like. Grape nuts, for whatever reason, you can easily destroy that nutrition though with large spoonfuls of sugar on top of your grape nuts yeah. <laughs> i seem to do quite often it has to be the crunchiest cereal around i always feel like i'm downing a gravel driveway <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when i'm trying to devour a bowl of grape nuts extremely filling though and it will stick with you for a while i don't know if anybody has this as a favorite but it's very common but i just can't i still love it i think it was always my favorite cereal growing up the honey nut cheerios and fortunately, like, while it isn't out there with the sugar smacks or, you know, the cocoa pebbles, it is somewhat healthy. But God, I always, that was always just one of my favorites. And to this day, I could still eat it. I like the way that the milk is kind of sweetened with the, with the honey or the sugar or whatever it is that they make it sort of resemble honey. But yeah, I could eat those all day long. Golden grams are another one, which... I don't believe that it's the same cereal, but it oftentimes is the same effect. I could eat those all day long. All right. Now, I do have one hot cereal in particular that I do like, cream of wheat. Mm -hmm. uh, oatmeal reminds me too much of my days in third grade art class making paper mache animals. Probably <laughs> tastes about the same as paper mache. Now, cream yeah. of wheat, if it's made with milk, it's hot and smooth. And you put some honey on that, sugar on top, a little bit of milk. Really, there's no better way to start your day, especially on a cold winter day. And the thing about oatmeal or cream of wheat, more so with oatmeal, but I would say cream of wheat too. You can put just about anything in it. You want to put berries in there, you can. You want to, you know, cut up a banana, throw that in there. Cinnamon. Or peaches, you can. Yeah, cinnamon. It's almost like a milk in and of itself. You can put all kinds of stuff in there and just have something that's good and actually healthy, unlike you know, the golden grams and the cinnamon toast crunch and frosted flakes and all the stuff that I kind of like. Yeah, cinnamon toast crunch. There's another good one. I'm glad you mentioned that one. Now we'll yeah. get into the worst cereals. First one for me is all brand. And all I can say is no wonder this stuff keeps you regular. Once your system realizes what you put into it, it immediately wants to violently reject it. And you have the express ticket to the bathroom later that day. No doubt about that. However, Allbrand can be used, I will say this, to Allbrand's credit, it can be used to create some tasty muffins. Yeah. 
I think a lot of people actually like these, but I can't stand the s'mores cereal because the marshmallows. I don't know why. I, apparently, I really liked marshmallows when I was a little kid, or so I'm told. I'm not so sure that's actually true, but maybe one day I just got, I got a hold of a bag out of them and ate the whole thing, and I just haven't had any taste for it since. But, like, the Kellogg s'mores or the Post s'mores or the s'mores crunch, I can't. I gag on them. I can't really do Lucky Charms either. I had a bad experience with that as a kid. You know, I do like the marshmallows in Lucky Charms, but so did my brother. Those are the charms, basically. Yeah, the charms are more. And then what happens is you become unlucky because you or your brother, one of us would eat all the charms, all the marshmallows, and all you had left was this crappy, crunchy cereal that had really not much taste to it. Yeah. So they didn't really find a good way to meld those two to work together. It was a, it was a disagreeable partnership is what I say. Yeah. <laughs> now here's another cereal. Actually, it's kind of two cereals, but I'll combine them. Wheat puffs or rice puffs. I'm talking about plain with nothing on them. Absolutely no flavor to them whatsoever. Both have this kind of squishy feel when you bite down on them in your mouth. And no matter how much sugar or milk you put on them, all the sugar goes to the bottom of the bowl. They have all the flavor of those styrofoam pellets that they use as packing filler. And by the way, don't ask me how I know that. <laughs> yeah, my mom used to buy those because she thought it was great stuff when she would want to diet. Well, when you're a kid, you're not worried too much about dieting. Yeah. And I said, why did you buy this stuff? You know, you're the only one that eats it. And she goes, well, if I bought something you liked, I wouldn't get any of it because you and your brother would eat it all. Great logic, though, I have to admit. Right. I don't know. I don't want to say that I didn't like this cereal so much as I didn't see the point of it. Like the Oreo O's, they're just, why not just crumble up Oreos and pour milk over that and eat that with a spoon? Now you've given me a great idea <laughs> for post-show activity if I'm hungry. Yeah. I can't even remember the name of it. They had that, there was a chocolate chip cookie cereal. I can't, I've been looking for it and couldn't find the name of it. I guess it was a very short lived thing because maybe they had the same idea. Like why just use regular chocolate chip cookies? Well, I have an honorable mention for worst cereal on my list. Remember Kaboom? No. It was uh, basically created in 1969 and sold until 2010. I think General Mills had been making it. And finally, they got the idea that maybe the cereal wasn't that great. It only took them, what, uh, 41 years to figure out it was crap. But, you know, they did finally figure it out. And this was a cold cereal that featured sugary, bright-colored clown faces staring at you <laughs> while you're trying to eat. And I'm, I'm telling you what, it, it's like those clowns that they showed the, in the sewer grate. I mean... I guess you kind of get even with them by biting down on them, I suppose. But at the same time, these clown faces would stare at you like they knew what they were about to do to your internal <laughs> organs once you devoured them. They also featured some marshmallow circus animals and stars mixed in with the clown faces. And there were some prizes in the box. And I do have a story to tell. This is someone that uh, I know really well, um, who as an eight-year-old boy went to a local grocery store with an eight-year-old friend of his back in 1969 after the store was opened and uh, they first started selling Kaboom. Well, these two kids got the bright idea. By the way, it's not me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this right now. It's not me. 
they got the bright idea to go to the cereal aisle of the store and go through the boxes of Kaboom to take out the prizes. And they were, they were caught by the store manager, as you might guess, who found two eight-year-old boys sitting on the floor going through boxes of Kaboom. And he was not very happy. He called the mothers of both boys who had to come down there and buy all the boxes of cereal that they opened, and uh, both kids got grounded. Uh, the boy that I know rather well, and again, I will withhold his identity because I wouldn't want my brother to know I was talking about him. <laughs> okay. This is the stupidest thing he ever did. <laughs> I have to admit. Oh, stupidest. I mean, because the prizes in those boxes of cereal of Kaboom weren't that great any they weren't they weren't worth possibly getting arrested for and my mother was not real happy about this either when i would imagine not. i was home when she got the call from the store manager and i could see the vein sticking out the side of her neck like frankenstein and she didn't and i said what's wrong and she didn't say anything her face got really red she left and when she came back she was carrying some boxes of Kaboom cereal, and she had the scruff of my brother's neck in the other hand. And that's all he had to eat. She brought the cereal home. <laughs> she had to bring the cereal home, and that's all he got to eat until he finished all three boxes of cereal. He had nothing but Kaboom for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Oh, that is okay for, for all three meals. That's all, all right. he got to eat. I'm telling you what, we never had that cereal in the house. <laughs> After hearing that story, I kind of like that cereal now. <laughs> it's my favorite story about my brother, who genuinely is a very good guy. But, you know, as I told him when he came through the door, I said, that was really stupid. <laughs> I mean, it's not like they were giving away diamond rings and watches in boxes of kaboom. They were <laughs> yeah. cheap little plastic toys. <laughs> oh, wow. So anyway, kaboom makes the list just because of that. And, you know, I did try a bowl of it when no one was looking because I wanted to see if it was any good. Uh, I was home by myself, and I actually saved my brother from one more meal of kaboom. <laughs> but I did try a bowl of it. It was pretty horrible. And General Mills, you know, congratulations for making the choice not to create any more boxes of kaboom cereal. Well, how many cereals like kaboom were actually used as a punishment, like as a disciplinary measure for a child? I mean, I mean, that's pretty, you, you want to talk about some like unpleasant stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I just would sit there, you know, I'd be having roast beef for dinner and we'd have like mashed potatoes and gravy and green beans <laughs> and then a little bit of dessert. And there's my brother with nothing but a bowl of kaboom. <laughs> I still laugh about it today. That um, is great. <laughs> and he'd be staring daggers at me as I'd make fun of him the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> so Kaboom made my list. Any other cereals for you that you want to mention? This was kind of a popular cereal. I might not be, I might be alone again in my dislike for it, but Apple Jacks. And I like apples. I, I don't know it why I wouldn't. I mean, we had Apple oh, Jacks. God. It really, yeah. it was that fake apple taste. It wasn't, didn't have any semblance of real apple flavor to right. it. Right. And what always amazed me about Apple Jacks is that somebody tasted it and was like, yeah, yeah, this is good. We could sell this. I, I never made any sense. Do they even still make it? I haven't noticed sure. it in the cereal aisle. It's, it's probably some Apple Jack, you know, is also a, a form of homemade 
alcohol too. Yeah. Now that I like. Now that's probably what they were trying to do originally. Maybe they <laughs> yeah. had someone who drank a bunch of Applejack and then he tried the cereal and because he was so drunk, he didn't know it wasn't any good. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> well, Drew, we need to close up shop here for today. We need to tell people we'll be taking a week off from the show because we're going to be working on some of our marketing aspects of halftime with Chuck and Drew. We'll be working on our Facebook site and some of the other stuff that we want to do. Uh, we want to create the website for the show too as well. And uh, you and I will be working on that. And then we'll be back the week after that to resume operations with halftime. That's the plan. And then also uh, those of you who want to send in uh, some notes to us or maybe make some comments about the show, suggest topics or whatever, you can do that by emailing us at halftime240 at gmail.com, halftime240 at gmail.com. We love to hear from our listeners. Well, most of them anyway. I uh, did read some controversial comments earlier on today, but we still appreciate the fact that those people do listen. And we appreciate the fact that you listen too as well. Drew and I uh, really value the 12 listeners that we seem yeah. to have. I mean, yeah, for for the dozens of you out there. I didn't know you had that many relatives. That's the thing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Drew, thanks as always. Appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. That's Drew Barnett. I'm Chuck Braz, and you've been listening to Halftime with Chuck and Drew. 